Ah, the dining room table. Hi, you guys. So glad you're with... When you think of your dining room table growing up or, or the one you have now, I mean, for me, I came from a family of seven, five kids, two parents, so many conversations, discussions, arguments, yeah, fights, sure. And yes, ideas have sprung forth from dining room tables. A lot of people don't know this. Walt Disney started Disney at his uncle's house in the dining room. LinkedIn started in Reed Hoffman's dining room. The dining room table startup should be an inspiration to all of you guys because it just proves you don't need a fancy office or a staff to become a multimillionaire. You just need a phenomenal idea, endless loads of persistence, and a table to sketch out your dream company. I mean, just ask my guest today. Julie Wainwright founded luxury consignment site The Real Real while sitting at her dining room table. It is now the world's largest and most trusted luxury resale site doing hundreds of millions of dollars worth of sales a year. But while Julie's best known for founding The Real Real, her story hardly started at the top of the designer clothing pile, if you will. In 1999, Julie Wainwright took on the role of CEO for Pets.com. I mean, it was at the very point where the dot-com hype was at a fever pitch until it wasn't. Because then we know what happened. The whole bubble burst and there was a massive crash. Unfairly, she became the poster child of the dot-com implosion. Because everybody would just say, oh yeah, Pets.com, remember that? It wasn't until about 2010 where she decided she wanted to found yet another company, and she went to a recruiter who told her she was washed up. Well, guess what happened? If anything, she turned that negative pile of <clears throat> whatever you want to call it into a mountaintop that she has climbed, and she is not done yet. Let me welcome my guest today, the founder of The Real Real, and about to launch a brand new, unbelievably cool nutrition company, Julie Wainwright. So good to have you here. Oh, thanks. It's good to be here, Liz. I mean, when I'm outlining that, all of those things, both positive and what could arguably be considered a negative, the Pets.com chapter of your life, what goes through your mind? Well, I, <laughs> um, uh, well, what goes through my mind? I think um, I feel lucky that uh, in many ways I was brought up and had a lot of resilience uh, that even though there were a lot of obstacles in my family because my mother was so ill from an early age, my parents used to tell me I was smart and I could figure things out, which I'm sure got it uh, stuck with me. Um, the other thing I'm grateful for is they were both artists. And I had this deep appreciation from art that actually helped my soul when things were bad. So I could find joy and creativity and be around artists that helped me. But it feels, it oddly enough, it doesn't feel that long ago. But in fact, what you just said about Pets.com is over 20 years ago. Can you believe that? No, because I remember that talking to the recruiter specifically and what happened after Pets.com's failure, I was give, basically given the dregs. I was only shown the dregs of companies to possibly work for um, our run. And I, I took a few of those jobs because the part you left out is when pets collapsed, my marriage collapsed too. So I had to pay them a lot in al alimony and I had to get started again. And at some point I'm like, I've 
why aren't I seeing great jobs? Which, by the way, women don't tend to see great jobs, but I was really seeing the dregs of the dregs. And he said, because you're washed up. And I remember thinking, (sighs) no one's going to offer you a good job. They're going to show you things that are really uh, on the way out, see if you can think of something to save the company. And I remember thinking, okay, this is not great, to say the least, <laughs> but I took it as reality. I mean, unfortunately, I had this feeling like he was sort of enjoying the dig a little in me, but I thought, okay, I'm just going to treat this as reality, and I've got two options. One is figure something out and create a company I wanted to work for that I really believed in that could be huge, or sell my house and go sell real estate in Arizona. I mean, I just felt like the industry, Silicon Valley is a small place Mm -hmm. and it's not exactly friendly to women anyway. I don't want to make this into a man bashing, but the stats are true. I mean, women get less than 3% of all financing and I was over 40. So you think- God forbid. I know. So I was old and a woman and I had um, pets.com puppet was looming large. So I remember that really well because- um, I gave myself a timeline to create something um, or I'd have to move to plan B. So um, I remember it incredibly well. I was talking to my girlfriend. I went for a long walk with a girlfriend who was my VP of HR at Pets.com and had been a VP of HR at Berkeley Systems where I was also CEO just to say, Catherine, look what happened, you know, because she's a straight shooter. And uh, she's like, well, what are you going to do? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I got to figure something out. And that's where you sat down at the dining room table. Well, that's where the whole business began. But what happened was I I knew I wanted to go into e-commerce again, and the business had changed rapidly, and the investment to get the infrastructure investment was substi- it was a fraction of what it was in uh, the year 1999, meaning the servers and all the engineers, you had to, to manage those servers. So it was really, it had changed dramatically. So you could actually run, you could get started on about 50,000 versus 5 million. It had changed that dramatically. And this wow. is before cloud computing. But you could rent a space. And it, anyway, it was amazing. So I'm like, okay, I can test a concept out. I want to get into commerce. And I did have a meeting at my house with people to say, look, here's how I had a matrix about what I thought Amazon couldn't do and would never do because you don't want to ever compete with Amazon. You're going to lose. And um, so I had a matrix and I had some really smart people. It was around my table. And they're like, yeah, you're right. Well, great. I had the matrix, but I had no ideas. So then it was um, having that framework in my head And I happened to be shopping with a girlfriend who was shopping in a full-price boutique in Menlo Park that had a little bit of consignment in the back, and that's where she spent her money. And I'd never seen that behavior from her. When we walked out, I'm like, what just happened? I'm like, Ann, what did you do? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you just bought consignment. She said, Julie, I bought Louis Vuitton, Prada, Gucci at a low price. Everyone wants a deal. Who cares if someone wore it before? And I'm like, that is it. And the, and so the time of that walk and the recruiter saying I'm like over um, was September. And the idea came like it just snapped in November. And by March, so you know, you're just progressing. By March, I had a business plan. I'd raised some funny, um, some 
friends and family money. I was incorporated. I had tried to call the woman that had the boutique to like maybe because she was an ex-tech exec. Maybe we wanted to do this together. By the time she got back to me, I had a name. I had the money. And I'm like, Lori, I got to move here. <laughs> and launched in June and launched in June. And the first and we did work out of my house from March. And I hired my first employee in, uh, I think, April. And it was the merchant. I, I needed a merchant. I knew I wasn't a merchant. It was uh, Rati uh, Levesque, who's still at the Real Rail as president. Um, and we skewed every product right there. It, in fact, it went from the dining table to taking over my whole house. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, this is not good. And um, and I rented, so I rented a really small uh, warehouse in the Canal District in San Rafael, which if anyone knows it, it's a little transitional, I'd say. And we put black baggies all over the windows and just got on it and uh, started there and did everything. You just launched. You just did it. But to start a luxury consignment operation, you need luxury goods. You do. So here's, but I had actually thought about, it's all about um, product and it's all about having the right product in. So the first thing one does when someone starts a business, something like this, you tap everyone you know, and you get piles and, con and then you're like, well, this isn't scalable because you're going to run out of things. So I had in, uh, so March, we were um, got a little bit of money, and in April, I had made a beeline to meet with stylists in L.A. and um, also in New York City just to say, look, I'm going to launch this business, and even you have clients, because I was looking for aggregators to get really good product in. So we launch in June. We're running two sales a month, and two, sorry, two sales a week. And, I mean, we're selling out. I mean, we launched, let's say the first sale was Chanel because we did it only by brand and not by theme. Within an hour, everything was gone. And so, you know, we'd be like, okay, well then, so we have enough product to then launch, you know, another sale of maybe Gucci or Dolce and Gabbana. So we ran it that way. And I thought at the end of June... We launched, I think it was like June 10th or 11th, and we had like forty or $50,000 in sales, but we're running out of product. I'm like, oh, man, we're in trouble. So we did get a call from a recruiter. Oddly enough, there, not a recruiter, from a stylist, but oddly enough, the recruiter and the stylist names were almost exactly the same, okay. which is pretty weird. And we get a call, and she said, um, and I can say this because she said it public, Paula Duell wants to clean out her warehouse. Oh, of course. American Idol judge. Can, original. Can you, warehouse. That was like, warehouse. What? You're warehouse. like, I need the warehouse goods. And she said, um, can you be down here, can you be here tomorrow with a U-Haul? And Rati flew down. I manned the phones and the, did, anyway, so she flew down. We had an intern named Georgia. And uh, who was 17, who, who was going to go down for a day trip. And it turned out to be more than a day trip because Paula had a lot of things, which then I had to call George's mom. I'm like, she's going to be fine. I know she's like, oh, we bought her. I got her in a nice hotel room. We, you know, she's like, you know, she's 17. I'm like, nothing bad is going to happen to Georgia. And they drove that U-Haul up and, uh, and 
Paula's thing sold really well, and that got us through the summer, and then more stylists came along. So it really was looking for points of aggregation, and the stylists actually helped us do that to get started. Then we ran direct advertising campaigns. So it just, by, by September, we were on a roll. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates it's faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What was the very first sale item? Oh, you know what? That's in the uh, S1. I wish I remember. I'm going to have to look that up. Um, But whatever it was, it was, I mean, honestly, everything sold so fast. I'll tell you what we had to do because people started hoarding right away. So that's why to this day, the real real has a timer on its court. Well, you say hoarding. I mean, oh, in the car. So what? No, no, no. What would happen was, let's say we only had 50 items in a sale. Mm -hmm. Someone would put 40 of those in their cart and not check out. And we're like, oh, this will kill us. You know, and at the end of the day, maybe they'd buy three, but then the people were gone. So automatically, we're like, we have to put a timer on that card. They're either going to buy or they're going to get out of here. And so that I remember we had to solve very, very quickly because otherwise we wouldn't have had any business. And that timer resides to this day. There's, In fact, the whole structure of the business is pretty much the same. Well, I, I use it. I mean, before I ever met you, we all have that one thing that we've wanted to splurge on our whole life. I mean, forever since I was a sophomore in college and I read a biography of Coco Chanel, I dreamt about having a Chanel tweed jacket. I mean, they were outrageously expensive then, which was in the 80s, and they just kept going up and up and up in price. So I left the idea in that sort of unfulfilled dreams bucket until I heard about the real real thousands of years later, luxury consignment website. I went on it. Something like a hundred Chanel jackets, all previously worn, but all authenticated. That was really important. All in great condition, all at a massive discount. So 30 years, Julie, after the initial spark of wanting, I got the flame going and I finally bought one, a navy tweed Chanel jacket. I still have it for easily one fifteenth. Of the original price. And I have heard those stories. I've heard them from young professionals going into the workforce saying, I can look more professional now. I have more credibility. I've heard it from um, women in hard times that had to sell their things or 
Um, and they're to the point where that one of them even started a business based on selling her luxury goods. The one, the woman that does the uh, Cali Power. Uh, Cauliflower. Power. I yes. know her. Yeah, she's been on the website. Oh, she's been yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. So she <laughs> she actually sold her luxury goods to finance her business to get started with her pizza crust made out of cauliflower. So you hear amazing stories, but I think the key is there wasn't a market for that mm-hmm. for those luxury goods. They did need to be authenticated. Um, we needed to control the picture also because the you know these are beautiful goods, so you needed to shoot them and keep integrity of the item. Um, and you should have heard me pitching this to the VCs in the Valley who were like, "Yeah, no, eBay's fine." And so that that eBay was- is not fine, by the way. I I do use eBay, but I I've well, been this- tricked. This was another level of, you know, this is just normal trying to raise capital mm-hmm. in a world that um, Silicon Valley's idea of luxury is not necessarily Louis Vuitton or Chanel. Mm-hmm. And also the venture capital firms have a lot of former employees of eBay. So they never thought about upsetting it or cutting that tear off. One of my favorite stories, because, you know, I was always raising raise money every six months for um, 11 years, every six months I was raising. And there's a couple really fun stories. One is we went to um, most of, so you're almost always meeting with men and they always want to talk to their wife about it. You know, we used to call this when I started my career at Clorox as mother-in-law research, all right? So they always want to talk to their wife (laughs) and they're like, okay. And then they want to set up you know, um, well, my wife needs to pick up. We want to experience it. Fair enough. They're doing their due diligence. Well, we went to um, one VC's home and the wife had nothing on our acceptance list. Um, and we, oh, no, meaning wait, wait, the wait. designer names. Right. The desi- we had you a, only accept certain designers. We, the company only accepts mm-hmm. certain designers. And for a reason, because you have an average selling price that you need to hit. You have an ops side of the business that you need to pay for, even in the early days. Anyway, and you want to keep the integrity of the brand, which is luxury consignment. So there was nothing there. And I get a call. By that time, we had a couple salespeople in the field, and they're like, oh, this is not good, Julie. There's nothing. I'm like, okay. And I think it was our Series C. Anyway, so... We get. We thought we we're going to get a term sheet. It's a, just one of the top tier venture capital. We're very excited about it, and then we get a call. Well, I just don't believe the market's that big. I'm like, and we'd already had a celebration dinner to make it worse. Oh. I'm like, what? You know, and I'm thinking, the wife. She didn't pass. We didn't pass the wife test. And I said, so you don't think there's that many luxury goods trapped in people's homes? No. I, and he said, now, and I said, well, can you tell me your information source? Because I have data that shows what's sold in. And it's, you know, it's hundreds of millions of goods in there. In fact, it's it's closer to billions trapped in people's homes. And he's like, no, uh, well, my source is a mosaic of information. Oh, what a scammer. Uh, <laughs> and you probably know this person. Anyway, so here's what we learned. You always learn. So the next time we go in and we go in because it's same, it's always the same. Mm-hmm. Let me come my let's see how my wife likes it. I swear to God, we went through the wife test every single time. The next time, guess what we did? We picked up everything and we bought it if it wasn't on brand. And we bought it right away. 
ourselves and put it in the goodwill pile because we weren't going to miss the wife test again. Anyway, so that's what we did. So the next one, it was an, a zero. They person had some things and some things they're like, well, I want to get, I want it all. We're like, okay, great. This is great. It's fabulous. And, <laughs> um, and then half of it we bought ourselves and donated to Goodwill so we wouldn't miss that test. And the person invested. So, you know, those are like one of the things like no one. So I just told the story, but it was one thing. No one tells this guy that his wife's stuff was half of it was really bad. Well, because they're all out there wearing hoodies and and look, Allbirds, that was a big, big, we had the Allbirds founders, uh, you know, the, the canvas and, and wool shoes. Oh, I know. I know the we Allbirds. We know those guys. Yeah. They've been on the podcast. Yeah. But there, there are great stories. They're great ideas. But you know, what we really focus on is what you had to deal with, and that is a constant stream of no's from people who just didn't get it. I think that's normal. Um, it's harder if you're a woman, obviously, because mm-hmm. there's, uh, you know, the, the like I said, the data supports. It's just harder. Um, but because um, we only get now, I think it's below 2 percent of all financing. It was 3 percent. So we lost ground during COVID. Yeah, but as, they're they're really OK with giving the founder of WeWork, whose company completely, you know, up, was upended because of excess spending. They're OK with giving him money once again. They, I'll never understand the venture capitalists in, in the Valley. But well, do? Um, I well, I'll, I'll give you a, something that isn't really gender related, but I do think this is why we need more female. But only because, especially in early days, when you're pitching a dream, which is what you're doing, and you know, Series A, B, C, maybe. Um, so you're pitching a dream. When well, you have to find someone who really has an affinity for the dream, and has an affinity for the founder. And there's, you know, the world's full of unconscious bias. So if you're pitching, which I was in most cases, to a young guy in a hoodie, and here I am, a woman who's 51, 52, I think is when I was doing, I started pitching at 52, age 52. He can't relate to me. I'm like older than his mom. All right. So he can't relate. He doesn't understand the category. Business to consumer is always hard to get funded because there aren't a lot of business to consumer experts and it goes through periods of high valuation and low valuation once in an IPO. So you've got this uh, person who looks at you and they're like, you're old. You're older than my mom. I don't understand this. I'll never shop there. And, you know, they need to buy into the dream. Now, when I talk to women... I mean, my first investment was actually eVentures Now Headline when we were before we raised Series um, Series A, and they came in, they're European, so they understood the power of the luxury brands. Um, then it was Maha Ibrahim McCainan. She's like, I love this idea. I'll use this idea. Then it was Dana Settle of Graycroft. She's like, I love this idea. I just have to convince my partners that it's a great idea, but I love this idea. And Headline came in. So you have a European and two females, all right? And Headlands um, by Matthias Schilling. So you look at it and it's like, okay, they got it. They have an affinity for what we're doing. And they were amazing investors. And the other guys, I think the sad thing about the Valley is when you get this bullshit. 
that answer, like, oh, it's a mosaic of information. Or one guy at a VC, another prominent VC, put a shoe on the table and said, see this shoe? I've worn this shoe for five years. And and he's like, what do you think of that? I'm like, I think you're not my customer. I mean, you know. (laughs) I mean, that's an easy answer. You're just not the customer. It doesn't mean that you can't make a boatload off of this concept and this idea. And the early investors who got out prior to the market crashing actually did phenomenally well. And they, I mean, I'm one of their best performing stocks. So uh, because they got out in the right time. But the fact that you brought it from your dining room table to an IPO, an initial public offering, and it is a publicly traded stock is so inspirational. Years after being told that you are, quote, washed up. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we will be right back. Let's go way back. You're a kid who grew up in South Bend, Indiana. I did. I went to Purdue University. I did. How did you end up in the Valley? Proudly went to Purdue. Um, Look, I've always said I've I've been trained to be a consumer marketer all my life. So my dad had his own art and design company. And his clients were like, um, well, it's called, it's Bayer now. It was Miles Laboratory time, but it was one-a-day vitamins, Flintstone vitamins, (laughs) Alka-Seltzer. He did, he had Studebaker. He had uh, Kohler was around then. So he had fairly large companies and he would, and he got really excited about the campaign. So he was like, oh, we did this and it worked or that it didn't work from a young, you know, I was a young kid. He started his business in our basement, then ended up having offices, having, um, you know, artists, a lot of artists, because it was before everything was digitized. So we had a lot of artists and he loved what he did and he was always learning and he was sharing. I mean, I was like, the oldest kid. So he was like, look at this. He was, every day he was excited about it. So that um, was awesome. It really put me in training. But my mother was really, really ill. She had multiple sclerosis. And she had it um, She when she was 28. She had four kids and had the first bout. The youngest was four months, oh. and I was the oldest. So I was eight. She was 28. And then by the time I was 16, it was properly diagnosed. It was misdiagnosed um, for a long time, for eight years. And then she had a pretty spotty life after that. It was mostly a a rapid decline um, over 10 years. So she had a really tough life. But in the meantime, um, and I was the oldest, so I had a lot of pressure on you. A lot of pressure. But we also, they met each other in art school. So it was this creative thing. And then growing up in Indiana, um, it's not unusual for well, we all had we had dirt bikes and we had you know we had and my dad loved tennis and he was highly competitive, so we had our own tennis tournament. So we just had like dirt bikes and I don't know. It was like <laughs> you just like no fear. In Skinned fact, knees. Oh, out there playing all the time. Um, in fact, my dad was so um, fearless. Uh, it sort of translated. He was a great entrepreneur. So, you know, all of that was embedded on me. I went to Purdue because I was really good at math and science. And I wanted to um, originally go into drug development. I would, started in pre-pharmacy um, and then thought, I can't do this. I cannot go to school for eight to 10 years. I just can't because I thought I'd have to get my PhD and then blah, blah, blah. Um, and my boyfriend, I ended up doing all his marketing homework and switch careers. So you did I, his homework. 
<laughs> I did, well, it was so easy for me. And then um, I was the second undergraduate Clorox ever hired. So in brand management. So it just, you know, but Purdue was a great school. I'm still, you know, I've set up a scholarship Good. for women there. Good. And yes. Yeah, I'm very involved at my alma mater, UC Berkeley, and I'm trying to fund journalism students who want to go but who can't really afford it because I truly believe in freedom of the press and the strength of the press. I've funded women in engineering or in business who have some desire to be entrepreneurs. None of them have done it yet, but... Hey, um, it's, it's, what do they say? Alexander Hamilton, legacy is planting seeds in a garden you may never see end up growing. But I, I think right now when you just said you were interested in math and science but didn't want to go into the whole drug development effort, what are you doing now? Oh, well, isn't that full cycle? I mean, honestly, it's kind of wild because uh, even let me just tell you one side note. My mother and fa- my mother wanted to be a, um, a, a sketch fashion designer, maybe go into um, fashion illustration or even costume design. So that we sh- we had her sketches from um, art school all over the house. So there was it's sort of a weird thing you could go back and touch down. So now I'm launching, to, well, today, when, it, uh, uh, when the uh, podcast drops, a company called Ahara, A-H-A-R-A.com, which is Sanskrit for nourishment, and it is a precision nutrition company. I'm the co-founder. My other founder is Dr. Melina Jampolis, who's a medical doctor who focused her whole practice on food first before writing prescriptions about almost 20 years ago. So she was ahead of the curve. She graduated from Tufts Medical School. She went back and got another degree in nutrition. So as a physician nutritionist, board certified. So she's been practicing and I was her patient. I still am. Um, And we've been talking about the role of genetics and nutrition and when can it actually be actionable for a, for a long time, ever since 23andMe came out? And not until about three years ago did were the tests great from a nutrition standpoint. So you can do a nutrigenomic test to tell you what you're prone to, an epigenetic test to tell you really what's happening inside your body, a biomarker test to tell you where you're deficient. And these are all at-home tests. And you can actually then get from... Ahara, a list of recipes that are tailored to the nutrients you need in your body. That you're deficient in? Then you're deficient in. Huh. We also do a health survey because there's other factors. So we have this multi-omic approach. To, you're going to have a personal algorithm that will change You know, if, as your body changes. So let's say um, you may want to retest in six months. It depends on your results. But you're going to have your own personal eating algorithm for recipes and you can scan menus out on a rest when you're out to dinner. It'll tell you what your optimal choices are. We're integrating with Instacart if you want to just cook and it would just then your own food. So you're going to be able to eat for your health with the with state-of-the-art precision nutrition and everything is evidence-based. I think there's over 300 studies that are most recent studies based on the nutrients that we're recommending. So it's not, we're not, uh, you know, creating the own research, and we're actually using bona fide research that shows these nutrients have this effect on your body. I know everybody's different, but 
do most of us have, is there an obvious deficiency in most people? Yes. And I would say um, two things. One, vitamin D, without a doubt. And and that's the one doctors, most medical doctors do know about mm-hmm. and they do measure. Most medical doctors have never been schooled in nutrition. In fact, they're just making it a requirement in medical school. But I would say most doctors do know about vitamin D. Now, here's the interesting thing. But we don't, when you combine it with genetics, you also know how you absorb vitamin D. So, for example, um, I don't absorb vitamin D well or omegas. So before all this came out, I didn't know that. Melina was saying, look, you have to take vitamin D. You can measure vitamin D in your omegas in your blood. So Mm -hmm. that was, so it was clear. So I was on omegas and vitamin D. Once we understood that my body doesn't absorb it well and I was retested, Turns out my dosage wasn't right. So here's the other thing. Having all of this together, we can tell you what supplements you need that you can't necessarily get from food. And we do have our own private label clinical grade supplements because you can't necessarily, especially now with soil quality, eat your way to optimal health. And vitamin D is very hard to get through food. Is it a subscription-based service? How much? What are we talking about here? It is a subscription-based service. So it's $20 a month for all the food choices after you take the health survey. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to test, that's fine. So it's $240 a year. We really want people to test so everything can get more precise. Your algorithm gets refined and you can track your progress. By eating our recommendations, you actually will slow your aging process down and you can measure that with an epigenetic test. And you really want to get your omegas and your vitamin D at the right level. So if you choose the testing, it's $695 plus the $240. But we also said some people are going to sign up for a year and they might want to talk to a nutritionist. So that's $2,500 a year full of full testing, three um, virtual visits with a nutritionist to go through your tests and where you're working. And it will, um, these, what we're recommending if people follow the eating plan and it's not a hard plan, this isn't a diet, it is eating for optimal health. You will age slower and you're gonna have better health. What kind of interest have you seen? I know you're about to open the lines and open up the website. What do you think is going to be your initial interest number? I I mean, look, I have no way of knowing. It's a more Mm -hmm. complicated sale. What I do know is um, we're going to have a high affinity with people who take supplements. And I can say a lot of people take supplements with not knowing if they're the right supplements for Mm -hmm. their body or how, the, how it's impacting their body. That's number one. We'll also probably have a high affinity with people that eat organics because they're already worried about their um, how they eat. When I look at uh, Melina's clientele, it tends to be very young people who are already s- smart about eating and they want to know how to eat correctly. And then she has um, people over 40 who may already start having a health problem. So I think we might have that bimodal distribution, probably not dissimilar to what the real real started at, and it's probably going to be more urban, so more focused in the city. So that's our premise. Um, it's um, but at the end of the day, even our national health um, institute in the United States, in the government, has said we now know that nutrition is not one size fits all. And with the breakthroughs in testing mm-hmm. and the and the studies that are coming out about the impact of different nutrients on the body, 
we can actually put together a preventative health plan. So we're, we may be at the cutting edge, but, the, but even the U.S. government's moving that way. You know, it's very interesting. I've been really worried lately because I found myself, you know, my eyesight was not, not so great. And I went into a top optometrist. Did They did a battery of tests and they're like, do you have diabetes in your family? And I nearly freaked out because I had an aunt who, who died of diabetes, but nobody else. And, and she said, how, how much sugar are you eating? And I realized, oh, my God, I work out constantly. I do Orange Theory and I do Peloton and I'm in great shape. I was eating sugar every other hour, popping something into my mouth, whether it was fruit sugar or actual because I'm a chocolate fiend. And I got really scared and I realized nobody's paying attention. No, I mean, that's it. I mean, food. Well, this is the other thing that's fascinating because I, for, in 2021, I started testing every app that was out there, every nutritionist, all the biohacker stuff, which is crazy. Your mm-hmm. body should not be the experiment. Mm-hmm. And then always giving Melina my sign in. I'm like, look at this. They're telling me this and I don't know how to eat. They're not telling me the fundamental. They, right. They're obviously making their money on supplements or on testing because, but if there's not, I can't change the way I eat. And so they're really telling me nothing. And even scarier, this is why we have this multi-omics approach. I know I have naturally high cholesterol. One of the recommendations, not based on what I eat because they never asked me, mm-hmm. um, was my age and to have more magnesium and to get more calcium. And they recommended I eat a cup of cheese a week. Well, I'm not going to eat a cup. I have, I have naturally high cholesterol. That's ridiculous. So uh, there's a lot of information out there. Oh, it's so outdated. Which you really have to follow yeah. the science. And and Dr. Molina is really strict on following good science. She put together an amazing advisory team. And the com- in the combination, everything she was doing for me personally, I said, this has to we can make this. We can make algorithms out of this. You shouldn't be sitting there looking at this, this, and result and triangulating them yourself. This can all go into an algorithm to make everything easier. The company is called Ahara, A-H-A-R-A. And yes, I am so happy to tell you all, you got funding, didn't you? I did. <laughs> the original Real Real Investors came in, and we are off to the—we're going to announce that. Well, we are announcing it today, so I raised over $10 million to get started. Oh, my gosh. I have a, talk. I have a kick-ass team, <laughs> and, um, and it's so much fun, and it's we can make a huge difference in people's lives. I need you to find that dude, Mr. Love, who told you you were washed up and say, look at me now, because uh, you guys can't see. She's so gorgeous, clear skin, bright eyes, trim. And how, can I ask how old you are? Because oh I'm proud. Oh, my God. I'm yes. 59. Okay. I always say my age because I don't care. We're all getting older. No, I don't care either. I'm 66. Oh, my God. Listen, let's go for wait, it. Wait, I, wait. But my internal age, oh, yeah. because I've done all the epigenetic tests. Um, is much younger. So I think I need to find out what my internal age is. I've been told I'm immature on occasion. Uh, All of you guys, listen to me. We didn't, both of us agree. Both Julie and I agree. This is not a a sort of a gender issue of, oh, women can't. Both of us have never looked at the world like that. We say either, we don't care if you're man, woman, or Martian. 
Are you going to fight for something? Are you going to fight for your dream? Go for it. And I hope you seize upon Julie's story because, boy, is it multifaceted and so inspirational. Julie Wainwright, thank you so, so much. Oh, thank you. It's really fun to talk to you, Liz. You're so good with the business. (laughs) Thank you. And good luck with Ahara and the launch. Thanks. And to you, to all of you, I'll see you Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network. Thanks so much for joining us. Want to listen ad-free? You can do it with a Fox News Podcasts Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And then Amazon Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 